Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. It's that time of the year to head to the local agricultural fair. We get an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at the 161st Woodstock Fair coming this Labor Day weekend and what it takes to make it happen. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. July through September marks agricultural fair season in Connecticut, and there are plenty to choose from across the state, both big and small. From the food, to the animals, to the thrill of the fairground rides, it's a family affair and something people look forward to. But while we walk around enjoying ourselves, what does it take to make a fair happen? I caught up with Jeff Gordon, acting president of the Woodstock Fair a few weeks before the fair was due to open on the Labour Day weekend to find out more. Jeff, we can hear lots of noise around us. The fair is coming up Labour Day. Flurry of activity. Tell us a little bit about you know what it takes to put this fair together every year because it's, it's in its 161st year. It is 161 years of fairs. That's remarkable. Uh, it takes a huge amount to get this fair up and running. People think it's just a oh, flurry of activity a couple of weeks before. Once we finish a fair, the next day we're starting to prep for the next year's fair, and it's a continued process. Right now, as we can see around us, there's tons of people setting up tents, getting animal stalls in, doing all sorts of mechanical, electrical stuff, lots of activity. This, this is a big fair, a lot of animal shows, a lot of vendors. We have a big carnival, a lot of stuff for kids. And there's tons of people behind the scenes that you don't see who are doing huge amounts of work, starting with our general manager, Susan Lloyd, everybody in the office, our superintendents, our directors of the board, and everybody else who volunteers. They're all out and about during the day and night getting a lot of stuff set. And literally, right until the gates open on Friday, we're still doing the final touches, getting everything as perfect as we can. You touched on volunteers. Are you all volunteers? Because I know that you are a doctor, so you have a day job. So I'm guessing everybody else has day jobs as well. That is true. The board is all volunteers, including our officers who are members of the board. We have a lot of life members who are part of our organization, and we have a lot of volunteers as well. Some of them do get paid stipends if they're judges or they're superintendents of certain departments or divisions uh, during the fair. But everybody else in our office, in the leadership, we're all volunteer. We're happy to do it because we're committed to the fair and the mission of the fair. But it takes a lot of hours and, and a lot of working together and a lot of really wanting to get hard work done. For me personally, I'm happy to do it. 
Like we said, it's 161 years of the Woodstock Fair. It certainly isn't the oldest fair in Connecticut. Uh, I believe actually Brooklyn in Connecticut holds the uh, the title of oldest fair actually in the entire United States. So, you know, Eastern Connecticut has a bit of a, a fair heritage sort of thing. What do you think is the enduring interest and, and why the fair, you know, the Woodstock Fair has endured for 161 years? It comes down to our mission. We are focused on supporting and highlighting and promoting agriculture, which is really big in Northeast Connecticut especially. We have a huge ag community that supports our mission. We're dedicated to it. Generations have been supporting it, and there'll be generations to come that will continue to do it. That's what drives us and motivates us. And to make the fair successful, the big reason we want it successful is not just for the people who are coming, so they can enjoy and learn, but also we can keep on putting on a fair each year successively. So it is a commitment to the mission. Our board feels strongly about that. Our life members do. And folks who come here, they feel that way too. Even the average person who is coming, we see tons of people go to the agricultural exhibits, the horse shows, because that's of interest to them and they want to share that with their kids. And that's a major part of what we do. I'm not going to ask you to name all the vendors because I know there are hundreds of them. How far and wide do they come from though? Because they're not just Connecticut based, are they? Oh, no, we get vendors from all around the country. We have actually a number that come from the West Coast. And some of our entertainers come from California, for example, and they come each year dedicated to coming to the fair and being here all four days. So we have a lot of local vendors and a lot of local farms and businesses that are here, but we have a lot from around the country. So it's just not Connecticut or New England. We really have a national presence here, which is very nice to see. Now, we're stood outside the exhibition hall, and uh, as we look around, as you said, there's lots of tents going up. It's actually a nice day today. We've been a little bit of, of rain recently. Just give us a sense of how quickly these things are going to fill up, because like I said, we've still a, a couple of weeks out, but as you said, there's a flurry of activity going on here. I guess it's sort of like it must be almost constant. Oh, it is. It could be 24-7 right now. Being a couple of weeks out, we're getting a lot of the temporary infrastructure up, getting all the buildings final inspected, making certain all the electrical outlets and the lights work, making certain that everything for safety has been attended to, the bathrooms are working fine, tents are going up, animal stalls are in, things with the horse show infrastructure are being put up, and the, the three horse rings we have are being attended to and making certain everything is set. What you're going to start to see if, if folks are here during the rest of the week, and especially next week, is we're going to start moving more and more in. Our exhibits start to arrive, and they're going to populate all the uh, buildings. We're going to start seeing uh, vendors getting ready to come in. That Some of them can because they stay over all four days. We're going to be getting them in. Farmers are going to be coming in to make certain things are set to get their animals in and their stalls ready and anything personalized that they might need. And as we head close to the fair, several days before the fair, huge amounts of stuff literally arrive, including the animals, you know, will be here very much so. And a lot of the vendors are in our set. And all the infrastructure that we need to open the gates on Friday will be all set. That will go through Thursday night and even Friday morning, but it all gets done. We're running on schedule. We have a lot that's happening, a lot of new things. So right now we're in a very good position and the weather's cooperating very much. So we've just stepped into one of the Arts and uh, Crafts Barns, beautiful building, one of many actually on the site. Just give us a sense of how important Arts and Crafts is to the fair. 
It's very, very important to the fair. I know me personally, I love seeing it every year, and I take the time even while working here to come. We have a lot of kids that do arts and crafts. They enjoy it, and we enjoy that they're a part of the fair. We also have a lot of adults who are doing phenomenal arts and crafts stuff. It doesn't have to be agriculture, although a lot of it is agricultural-themed, but it's phenomenal the different types of stuff that people are doing arts and crafts, handiwork, quilting, all sorts of stuff we see. And we let them be creative within certain categories and themes. But every year we're surprised by the number of people who want to participate and what they actually bring and what they do. They take a lot of pride in it, and we take a lot of pride in them being an important part of the fair. Do you also see sort of like um, a family theme running through this? Because as we said, it's been going for so many years. Do you families, sort of like, does it get passed down of families and you see families continue to come back? It's like, oh yeah, I remember your grandmother. I remember, you know, is it that sort of sense as well? Oh, absolutely it is. We see generations come. We see grandparents, parents, kids come. But it's also going through the history of families. There's a lot of families, especially in the farming community here, that go back generations, even to the founding of the town. And they've been a part of the fair, participating, helping, being in leadership over the years. We very much see that. They pride themselves on continuing that tradition, and we're more than happy to have them here. And it's wonderful when I walk around the fair and I talk with people to find out about their experience, and I talk with families, and readily they'll say, we bring our kids The parents say, I came here as a kid. The grandparents say, I came here as a kid. So you can see it's very much a family affair every year. As we said at the top of the interview, you are acting president, but also you are the treasurer, which is a very important role for any organisation. It's all to do, obviously, with the money. You must be incredibly busy. Like we said, you've got a day job, but then you've also got the treasurer job. Just explain to us a little bit about, you know, what that involves. People don't tend to see what the treasurer does. I've been doing it for five years. I am the one that has to be in charge of the ATMs. I deal with the tickets and the ticket booths. Certainly the money issues as far as money coming in, money going out, paying our vendors, paying for the prizes, paychecks we have to issue to our staff, all of that. The accounting uh, is extremely important so we can run things legally and properly, which we do, but also we want to make certain that we pass on a good accounting process from year to year. That's an important responsibility I have. It keeps me very busy during the year, especially now heading into the fair. There's huge amounts of stuff the treasurer does behind the scenes. But it's very important because if the work isn't done, people don't get paid. We can't purchase the things we need. We don't get the tickets to and the people to um, uh, process the tickets. So it's very integral to the fair. I joke that it's one of my part-time jobs that I hold, but I made the commitment to do it, and I'm more than happy as a leader of the fair uh, to do it. And I hope that there will be someone who will take over after me and enjoy doing that as much as I enjoy it. Can you give us a bit of a sense of how much it costs to actually put on the fair on a yearly basis? And what's the economic impact as well locally? Well, we can be talking you know, well over a million dollars. There's a huge amount that goes into our infrastructure that we have to maintain, rebuild, fix, repair, build anew. That's a year-long project and we commit that long-term. In the short-term, there's a lot that we have to do to get startup money, pay for everything that has to be up and running. So it is a heavy uh, accounting process, uh, and we handle it very, very well. But it's a year-long process. So what I tell people is, 
What we get in for revenue is not as if we're just sitting on, on it all and do nothing. We turn that money around, and we are putting it back into the fair so we can have another good fair next year. For example, the building we're in, we have to paint it. We have to repair it. We have to make certain electrical is working. Safety is all the buildings here. We have to do that, for example. That requires money. But that's why when we make the money from the fair as a nonprofit, it goes into things like that. And also to expand what we need to do. For example, this year we're going to have a goat show again. Well, we're spending money on that. That's fine because it's important to do when we've made the commitment as a board to do that. And that's why people don't see the money we generate, what it goes into. But it's literally all the exhibits and all the infrastructure. And that's what we maintain every year. Talk about changing it up. I mean, obviously, there are many things which stay the same because people like those and it's good to have that. But I'm guessing you're always looking at how you can, as you say, expand, add new things. You've just mentioned, obviously, about the goats. I mean, so how big a task is that? It is a big task. We look at short term what we know we need to do. We always have certain vendors that come back, key exhibits that are always here, the carnival, our entertainment that we do. We're always looking for how to do better. Or to expand what people actually enjoy and what they want, and we make that commitment long range. But also new things, for example, goats. We're expanding the horse show, and we've made a major commitment to that. We've made a major commitment to do what we can to really bring in big names for um, entertainment. And also for small entertainment, for, say, the kids and things like that. We make a big effort as well for, like, the kids to have more entertainment for them if they can't go on some of the main carnival rides. We've opened up last year a new area for the kids for kind of small kiddie carnival stuff that they enjoy. So we're always getting input and ideas, but the core uh, commitment to who we are and what we do, especially agriculture, that doesn't change, and we very much focus on that every year. This is one of our big buildings. It is a main building inside for a lot of exhibits. We're already getting all the shelving and display uh, uh, shelves all set. But this building goes back to, I believe, the 1880s. Beautiful, beautiful wooden construction. It really needed to be saved, and it needed to be updated. We made that major commitment to history. We did not want to tear this down. And on the other side, we redid the grandstand seating and made it better and safer for people who are sitting and watching our main entertainment shows during the day and at night. We're very proud of this building and that we can maintain it because it really connects us back to the origins of the fair. And it came out beautiful for us and even more functional than it was previously. Uh, it, it, it is a, a gorgeous space to be in. When you see all the exhibits here and you see all the people in here, it is a beautiful video and picture to take. As we said, you're not the oldest fair, but you must be one of the largest ones, certainly by way of size and also by way of you know the infrastructure as well. We are an old fair. We are one of the biggest fairs, actually, in Connecticut. And we're one of the most active fairs, just given the scope of what we do. If you just look at agriculture, what we do with all the animal shows, exhibits, our horse show, we are one of the most active agricultural uh, fairs around in Connecticut, very much so. And people from around the state do very much gravitate to our fair. We get lots of calls to when is the fair opening and what are the hours. And we get calls from all over the place. And people drive and come here year after year because of what we do. You're probably one of the better known ones as well, not just because you've been going for for so long. But I think, you know, when you say fairs to people here in Connecticut, Woodstock always seems to roll off their lips. 
Oh, very much so. People know the Woodstock Fair. They know what we do. They know, they, a lot of people come just for the shows, the animal shows or, or exhibits. A lot of people come because they know certain vendors are here and they love seeing certain vendors. But we are very well known. If we say Woodstock Fair, people don't have to ask, well, where is that? They know where it is. They know how to get here. So we don't tend to have to give directions to people how to find us. They know how to find us. They just want to make certain we're having the fair and what time do the gates open and how can they get their ticket. But, yeah, we are very well known. I I know I've spoken with people outside of Connecticut, and I say, hey, I I work for the Woodstock Fair. People know where that is, and and they know what we do. And that's a nice feeling to have that good reputation. And knowing people want to come and be part of our fair, that makes me feel proud. How do the people of the town take the Woodstock Fair? Because it's only, you know, once a year, but you know, it does cause some traffic jams and all that sort of stuff, as fairs do, because obviously people want to visit. But, you know, what's the general consensus from the, the people of Woodstock? Oh, people like the fair. I'm a town official. I'm an elected town official, chairman of planning and zoning in town. There are some people who don't like the traffic right in front of the fair, but it's easy to bypass that traffic. That's not a problem. On Friday when we open, that tends to be the town day. People from town tend to show up usually and come to the fair. We have a great support in the town. People in the town like the fact that we have the fair here. We support the local economy with a lot of stuff we do, so we're an important part of this community and all the towns surrounding us. I've, never, I've not heard really any negative complaints other than, well, the traffic. Other than that, people like the fair, and, they, and we get a lot of good reviews from people you know, in town. For example, those one year during COVID, we couldn't run the fair. We had to shut down. We heard from a lot of people that they were disappointed, not in us, but just disappointed they couldn't go to the fair. Last year, we reopened. We had tremendous outpouring of support from people for example, here in town, who are so excited we reopened and they can come back. So people in town feel that this is an important part of Woodstock and the surrounding towns, and we have a commitment to provide a great fair to them. And this year, we're going to have an awesome fair. How many people tend to like visit the fair maybe over the four days? Because it must be a lot of people. We get tens and tens of thousands of people every day who come. Now, some of them come multiple days in a row, and they can buy those tickets. But we get a lot of people who just come for the day. Our numbers are high. We have a huge number of people who cycle through the fair. We make a commitment to accommodate them, but we also make a commitment to provide them a great venue, a lot of opportunities and variety, but also as safe of a fair as we can. We are mindful of that in this day and age, and we have a major commitment with our Homeland Security colleagues, our state police, and our local security to provide that for people. So anyone who wants to come, the gates are open. We have tickets. We have space for you here, and we have the safety in place, and you're going to enjoy it very much. And a lot of great vendors, and for me, a lot of great food. I enjoy the food here. I was going to say, talk to us a little bit about the food because obviously fairs are renowned for the fried dough and the donuts and all those other good things. But you can get some cracking stuff here, can't you, at these various fairs? I mean, there's some phenomenal food that comes here. There's a lot of food. When I'm here and I'm here working every day, I have breakfast, lunch, dinner, and sometimes evening snacks here. There's the typical carnival fair. You're going to find your cotton candy and fried everything, fried dough. We have 
tons of vendors that will provide certain vegetarian things for people. All sorts of meats are out there. A lot of creative stuff from local farms, uh, for example. The kids love, of course, a, a lot of the sweet stuff and the candies that a lot of the vendors have. There's a gigantic variety. We have a lot of local nonprofits that run food booths in the morning for breakfast and all throughout the day, and they make money for their organizations. And we support them and have dedicated spaces for them. For me, I enjoy the food. My wife's a heart doctor, so she says, this is my time to eat whatever I want, regardless of how good it is for me. But one of the reasons I like getting the food here as opposed to bringing it in is... I'm supporting the vendors and the, and the nonprofits. And I can tell you when, like in the morning for breakfast, there are lines at the vendors for food. Throughout the day, there are lines. People are wanting the food and they enjoy the food. And it's a good part of the experience because enjoying that type of food stuff, especially new foods or local foods from farms, that's important for people to, to see and the kids to see as well. So we have a whole section for those types of vendors. Several major rows on the backside of our fair that where they're lined up is one of the busiest parts of our fair. The age that we live in, when it comes to things like food or whatever, we just walk into a supermarket or a corner store, pick it up and think nothing of it. This is a chance for people to understand how their food is grown and where it comes from as well, isn't it? Oh, it absolutely is. What I tell people is, if you don't have farms, you have no food. I know educating my son growing up, I said, you know, you can go to the supermarket and buy what you want, but if there aren't farms and farmers providing it, the shelves are going to be bare, basically. So this is good education for the kids, but it's also for everybody as well to say, there is an active agricultural community. This is why we support it. This is what they do. Agriculture just isn't growing corn, for example. It is wide-ranging, and we display that here. But also to show what are the processes, the animals. How do you raise the animals? How do you care for the animals? How do you grow the food? How do you, pro- you know, harvest the food? How do you get it to a market? What, what does it really take for the people to do it, the equipment to do it? This is what part of what we show. And for the kids, this is a great, great way for them to understand how they get their food, but also to appreciate the fact that if you're not supporting agriculture in general, you're not going to get what you want with food. And it's an eye-opener for the kids, but it's an eye-opener in a good way, and we want to promote that positively. I know the state works with us during the fair through the Department of Agriculture and a lot of other local organizations and even the federal government does to help us do that type of education and you'll see exhibits all throughout the fair some of our vendors even do that too to provide some of that educational stuff that's a core mission for us we do that every year people may not think we do it but it pervades everywhere in this fair and we make that commitment every year and the agriculture community knows it and, and we work with them. And that's why you see a lot of folks in agriculture in the area volunteer and work with us because they want to keep that going, too. So it's a beautiful relationship all around. We have a whole crew of maintenance people behind the scenes, electricians, others. So people think that it runs flawlessly. That's nice that they don't see the organized chaos behind the scenes. But it's a flurry of activity. I can speak from experience. Well, we are so pleased that you and the other volunteers continue to make sure that all of us can enjoy the the Woodstock Fair. It's been an absolute pleasure just walking around as uh, we see a little bit of the behind the scenes, which, as you said, so many people don't get to see, but uh, they will be no doubt looking forward to that Labor Day weekend and that four-day fair excitement and coming to visit the Woodstock Fair, the 161st Woodstock Fair. So to you, Acting President, 
president, uh, Jeff Gordon. Ever so many thanks for joining us on Connecticut East this week. Thank you very much. And to everyone who's coming to the fair, we look forward to hosting you and you're going to have a wonderful time. And the Woodstock Fair opens on September 2nd through to the 5th, and you can find details about it at their website, woodstockfair.com. And for a complete list of all of Connecticut's fairs for the 2022 season, head over to ctagfairs.org. Hey guys, it's me, Isabella Gomez, filling in for Smokey Bear because he's got more to say than just... Only you can prevent wildfires. Like, if you're outside enjoying a barbecue, don't let a hamburger distract you from fire safety. Make sure you aren't dumping your hot coals or ashes onto the ground because that could start a wildfire. So take wildfire prevention seriously and let's save the world one day at a time. Juntos con Smokey Bear, podemos hacerlo. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Fall will soon be here, and now's the time to start thinking about fall planting and maintenance. From your trees to your plants, now's the time to book ahead with Green Valley Tree, LLC. Let us set up a fall maintenance plan for you to make sure your yard is ready for when winter arrives. Contact us via our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com or call us on 860-234-4041. And don't forget to ask us about our 100% no money down financing too. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week, sponsored by... Healing Therapies Through Sharing is Eastern Connecticut's holistic wellness center for those recently diagnosed or living with a cancer diagnosis and their caregivers. We offer a range of services including adult and pediatric oncology massage, lymphatic drainage, craniosacral therapy, yoga for cancer, and much more. For details about our full range of services and our team of licensed professional therapists and providers, visit our website at healingtherapiesct.org or call us on 860-443-0800. We look forward to hearing from you. In the Connecticut News Junkie this week, while Connecticut residents were hoping to finally see some substantial rain, any precipitation that does occur isn't expected to make any difference in drought conditions, and water companies around the state have begun to announce restrictions on water usage. As a way to help conserve water, officials in East Lyme, Norwich and Putnam have asked for residents to comply with water use restrictions. Governor Lamont declared stage 3 drought conditions for New London and Wyndham counties. The Connecticut Interagency Drought Work Group, whose members made the recommendation to Lamont, is scheduled to meet again on September 8th to discuss whether to expand or pull back that designation. Health officials in New York and Connecticut are continuing to monitor wastewater in both states after a case of polio was reported in New York in late July in Rockland County. They hope the monitoring will be able to detect just where the virus may be circulating so they can inform local communities that may be under-vaccinated for the disease. Dr Howie Foreman is a professor of public health at Yale School of Medicine and says polio in developed countries is rare. In areas that are under-vaccinated, you can have small or even medium-sized outbreaks. And that's what we've been seeing in various parts of the world for the last several years, but almost never in a developed nation. You just don't see it in the UK and the US or so on. But now we have evidence that there is an outbreak in the US. Foreman says people who have been vaccinated against the disease in the US, even with an oral vaccine, have no need to worry. 
even though we describe the current outbreak as being from vaccine-derived polio virus, this does not mean it's being caused by a vaccine. It means that in a population where initially someone was given the oral polio vaccine, the virus mutates in that person and reoccurs only in people who have never been vaccinated. Oral polio vaccine was replaced in the US back in 2000 for an inactive polio virus vaccine instead. And Foreman says if you were given the oral vaccine years ago, you are protected from polio. Polio disease, although rare in the US, can lead to permanent paralysis and in rare cases can be fatal, affecting the muscles used to swallow and breathe. And U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal joined with environmental advocates and Old Saybrook to urge President Biden to permanently protect and preserve Plum Island in the Long Island Sound as a national monument. The controversial island has been the home of the Plum Island Animal Disease Center since 1954, helping to protect the nation against accidental or intentional introduction of animal diseases like foot and mouth disease. Blumenthal said its checkered history is what's helped to save it until recently. The research facility prevented development and enabled the birds and wildlife to continue nesting and growing and using the island because as dangerous as the research might have been to them if the diseases were released, they were kept properly quarantined and safeguarded. Conservationists successfully won a decades-long fight to stop the sale of the island to potential developers in 2020, but its future is still uncertain once the disease centre moves to Kansas around 2024. If the president agrees to the National Monument proposal, the 840-acre island and its flora and fauna will be preserved for generations to come. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.